If you would turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 10, for our message this morning. Oh boy. Well, I wonder today, when did you grow up? Oh, you know, adulthood has been an elusive thing throughout history. When exactly we decide people can be considered fully grown or or to have reached the age of maturity has moved. So I wonder, when did you grow up? They say these days that 25 is the new 18. Experts call it something like extended adolescence or emerging adulthood. That is that the, the traditional markers that we have used to Define entrance into adulthood, uh, getting a job, moving away from parents, getting married, having children. These things are happening for, for newer generations later and later in life. And so what used to be a coming of age at 18 has become markers that are, are met at 25 or even much later in some cases. When did you consider yourself an adult? You know, early Roman law set the age of maturity for which individuals could have uh, the the capacity to exercise full citizenship and manage their affairs and become parents and and heads of families. Fifteen, they said in ancient Roman law. And before any parents of teenagers throw anything off the balcony, let's just clarify, the Roman law also placed those 15-year-olds into what they called the, the possession of, of curators or caretakers. And it wasn't until they were 25 that they no longer needed someone else to help them attend to more formal things like contracts and agreements. And so the, the age of maturity became, in their world, 25. In other parts of history, throughout, throughout Europe, for example, the, the attainment of the physical capacity to go to war became the marker of adulthood. Throughout parts of Europe, that was for many years as as young as 15, and and that began to change as warfare began to change. Suddenly, heavy cavalry needed to wear armor and wield swords and have certain skills and and larger stature, and so the, the age got older. It became 21. And that same tradition, born in the British Commonwealth, was carried over to the new land in our world and has influenced our culture of when adulthood Begins. It wasn't until a, a different war conscripted into service, young men became marked at 18 as being mature enough to enter battle. And so some decades later, that same number became the, na- the number at which young people were eligible to vote. And so 18, perhaps, is the number of adulthood. But you can use any number of measures. They say you get your wisdom teeth somewhere between 17 and 21. So you'll need at least that much wisdom. The the collarbone, the the last bone in the body to mature, does so between 25 and 35. And so there seems to be a window here. And I wonder, when did you grow up? I don't know how old you had to be in Jeremiah's world to be old enough. But he thought he did. And he thought he wasn't there yet when the word of God appears to him in Jeremiah chapter 1 and says, I have a job for you. Now the word is translated roughly a a boy or child or or in some translations a youth. It's hard to say exactly which of those it was. It's the same word that's used for Moses as an infant, for Samuel as a little boy. 
And most likely for Jeremiah, it was his mid to late teenage years as he was only approaching maturity that the word of the Lord encountered him and gave his life a purpose he'd never heard of. And regardless of his age, we meet this young prophet to be as the word of the Lord comes to him. And in this word from God, we learn who Jeremiah will be. But we also learn about you and about me and about God's design for his people throughout history. See, the first thing that Jeremiah learns in this interruption of the word is the origin of his calling, that God's claim on Jeremiah's life starts well before the words we find in chapter one. It's this very thing, that you were created with purpose. You were created with purpose. You see, we might be confused into thinking that Jeremiah's call only begins now here when the word of the Lord speaks to him, when he hears audibly the sense of what God's going to do with his life. We may be tempted to think as the, the, the book begins that Jeremiah is really a story that starts in the days of Josiah in the 13th year of his reign, that it's really about Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, until the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah. That is where Jeremiah is placed historically. But the first thing Jeremiah learns is that his story began long before any of these. And when the Lord speaks, literally it says, when the, the word happens to Jeremiah, we discover that Jeremiah's encounter with the word, his, his discovery of God's divine purpose in creation is brought to us in three powerful verbs that, that speak as much to Jeremiah's life as they do to ours, that, that I knew you, I consecrated you, and I appointed you, says the Lord. You see, the first thing Jeremiah is told is that the calling of God on his life precedes even his very birth. His joining in this divine purpose of God, the one that he's called to here in this text, was being shaped in the mind of God before Jeremiah was even being shaped in his mother's womb. I knew you, God says. Before you were known by any other, you were known by God. And here's Jeremiah standing alongside John the Baptist as these enormous biblical figures whose own divine calling comes even in the womb. And yet... The same can be said of you, that your life has been formed by an intentional and creative and purposeful act of God. You see, this prophetic book begins by, by situating Jeremiah within the history of ancient Israel. It's part of legitimating all the, the prophecy that is to come. It helps us understand who's speaking and by what authority he speaks. And so we're told that where he stands relative to the kings of his day. But it's not his connection to Josiah or to Jehoiakim that will determine his place in history, but Jehovah, whose reign will bring meaning to Jeremiah's life. And this word that breaks in and interrupts this young boy who, who doesn't seem ready for it is the same word that has spoken to you, the same word that defines all of who, who you are. More than any external force on your life, more than who you're from or where you live or what kind of life you lead, the word of God breaks forth and says, I will determine your identity today because I knew it before you were born. Isaiah says that the God that we serve has, has measured out 
the earth in his hands. At the hands of God, in the hollow of his hand, he could hold all of the waters in the sea. At the sands of the earth, he's, he's placed in a basket. That he's, he's weighed out the hills and the mountains of this world on, on his own scales. And the same creative hands that are big enough and powerful enough to form everything you know to be true, knew you before you were born. You see, you were created with purpose. And Jeremiah is told the same word in his day, that I knew you. Not the you you're trying to be, not the you you'd hope to be, not the you that the world suggests you ought to be, not the you on billboards or magazines or advertisements, but the you that in Christ God longs for you to become. The one you were created to be, the one with a purpose. God says, I knew you, Jeremiah. He also appears to Jeremiah and says, you were consecrated. You were consecrated, set apart, appointed as a prophet to the nations. It's the same word that is used again and again to talk about Israel as having been set apart by God himself as a, a holy people. You see, to be consecrated is to be devoted as sacred, to be removed from the common things for, for a purpose determined by God. God had marked out Jeremiah for this exact purpose that Jeremiah was to bring to a people who had forgotten the ways of God, the truth about who God is. And so he comes to him and says, I've set you apart but you know, one of the costs of being confronted in, the, in life by the word of God as Jeremiah is, is the reality that it creates a distance from others. This divine act of, of setting apart has consequences for Jeremiah's life. It will be the filter of his daily life, but it will also cause tensions with his family. It will distort and disorient his whole community. Future kings will be unsettled by it. Fellow priests and prophets won't understand it. The order of their world would be confronted by this sanctifying work of God in Jeremiah. I knew you, God says. I, I consecrated you. But being a prophet can be a lonely occupation. And having heard this call of God, Jeremiah will go on to learn it more and more in life, that it can be isolating to be moved by God in this way. Maybe you've experienced that, that the that the, the, the rootedness of the word of God in your life has caused a distance between those who do not understand it. That sometimes the call of God calls us out of and apart from others that sets us apart for the purpose he created us for. Being a prophet is a lonely job. And as Disney's most latest work reminds us, it's the gift of prophecy that we don't speak about. That's the one in the family we don't speak of. And, and Jeremiah comes and will speak to his, his family, his people, God's word, and he will be dismissed, misunderstood, rejected. And yet God comes to say, not only do I know you, not only have I consecrated you and set you apart, but I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. It's not so much, God says, that I've given a job to Jeremiah. It's that God gives Jeremiah to the job. And one of the misunderstandings that we have about calling in life is that we step back from God's purposes and say, what kind of job might God give to me? And, and God says, no, I've already created the job. It existed long before you 
We're in this world and I give you to it, not it to you. You see, you were born and created with a purpose to join, to get wrapped up in the divine purposes of God in this world, to point a world that never knew God back to him. And so when the Bible says that Jeremiah was appointed as a prophet to the nations, Jeremiah joins a a whole long tradition of people who had been called out from the many who had rejected God to give voice to the truth of God. It began with the nation of Israel, carried through the kings and comes now to Jeremiah the prophet, that God calls some out of the many, that the many might see who God is. And so it is with you. That the life that you live today is not in the end about you, but about the word of God that you have so encountered, been so disrupted by, that you can't help but be drawn up into its purposes to let the whole world know who God is in Christ. You see, Jeremiah's call and yours are not some sudden reaction or a a heavenly response to an unforeseen circumstance. God isn't just playing it by ear. Paul says it was was lying hidden for the ages, this mystery of God, but, but his intent is that now through the church, it should be made known. You see, before anything laid claim on Jeremiah's life, Jeremiah's life was claimed by God. You see, Jeremiah was one formed by God, consecrated by God, appointed by God for this very purpose. And with such an emphatic declaration, this this sudden call into Jeremiah's life about the purpose for which he'd been created, how could Jeremiah object? This voice comes booming down to him. What will he do next? Could he possibly disobey? And verse 6 says, yes. It's at this point where we join Jeremiah in preparing our alibi for what God's called us to do. We establish the the basis of our unworthiness or our unavailability for the task. You see, almost a century after Isaiah, Jeremiah finds himself on the outskirts of the influential world. He's not in the midst of the cities. Jeremiah, we know by who he's from, lives in the village. And he could have easily protested, I'm not strategically placed for a job like this. I don't come from the right people. Who am I for such an urban world? He could have reasoned that the people aren't ready for such a a bold word. Or he could have asked, who am I to, to create this kind of change in my day? I can't possibly be the one you're looking for. I'm, I'm hardly old enough to be considered wise or, or to take responsibility for things. How could anyone listen to a word I have to speak? It's not surprising that Jeremiah plays the, the age card here. He obviously could complain that he just doesn't know how. He can't speak and he's too young. And don't we dismiss ourselves in the same fashion? That the church through the years has followed this same course, that words spill out of our mouths with great ease. Now is not the time. I'm I'm too young or I'm too old. I'm too uncertain or too unsure. I'm too timid or fearful or reserved. There's not a time. There is no time when speaking a word on God's behalf is premature. And yet Jeremiah was certain, oh boy, I cannot speak. I'm only a child. 
And we join with him, whether it be in distractions or in excuses and finding ways to forget the purpose for which God made us in this world. Irish author Frank McCourt uh, had a stint teaching in a pretty tough blue-collar high school in Staten Island. He was teaching English classes and began to notice what so many teachers know, that when you give a writing assignment, you don't get too many in return. He began noticing that students wouldn't complete all of his assignments, but they would come back with all kinds of excuses as to why they weren't able to complete the work. He writes in his book, uh, Teacher Man, that if their parents could read the excuse notes, they would discover that these kids are capable of the finest American prose. (laughs) Clear, dramatic, persuasive, especially imaginative were each of the excuses. He began to collect them. Stories about stoves catching on fire, fire departments keeping the house all night, uh, trains delaying people, a closed school, a man who died in a bathtub upstairs and caused it to overflow, people who were evicted, a mean sheriff, others yelling, notebooks lost. The excuses were endless. McCourt says, isn't it remarkable how they resist any writing assignment in class or at home? They whine and say they're busy and it's hard putting 200 words together on any given subject. And yet I have a drawer full of excuses written at length that could be turned into an anthology of great American excuses on their own. You see, our ingenuity at avoiding the work of God knows no bounds. And whether we're making excuses or simply distracted, if we spend as much creative energy considering how we might be useful to the kingdom of God in this world as we did to building our own kingdoms, imagine what would be possible. And yet, we're writing excuse notes rather than writing the assignment. And the church, confronted with hearing and speaking the word of God, often wants to delay entry into fulfilling our our present day assignment We may know the words, but we can't imagine singing the tune, and we're not just ready to share a word of God to the world, and so we dismiss the whole case. We've made our point. We move on consumed by ourselves. And so we make excuses, as Jeremiah does. And yet, listen to the response of God. The Lord said to me in verse 7, Do not say I am a youth, because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I commanded you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver, declares the Lord. You see, God dismisses Jeremiah's point as true. He is, in fact, young. But it's irrelevant when God is involved. And what a relief that is to us that God's grace isn't based on your talent or your worthiness or your maturity. Your role in the kingdom of God is not dependent on your proficiency or your prestige. It is only dependent on the fact that you too have received the word in you. And if you have received the word of God, if you've been so interrupted in this life by the God we meet in Jesus Christ, you are drawn up into the purposes of God whether you like it or not and you will Speak, but what will you say? And what will be heard from the world around you? You see, what mattered was not Jeremiah's confidence, 
but God's command. And so he gives it. Everywhere I send you, you shall go, and all that I command you, you shall speak. You see, Jeremiah was being taught first with us that we were created with purpose. And second, Jeremiah discovers that he has something to say. You have something to say. It would be a temptation to read this text and, and, and give it over to the realm of ancient prophets or traveling preachers or, or even modern missionaries. Those are the people that God said, you will go. But this call points us not somewhere else, but right to the place where God has put us. You see, as we follow Christ, we should be encouraged to know that, that we've been created with divine intention. That we were made to serve a kingdom and a king's agenda. We were created for certain times and places and events. God knew long before we did the kind of mess this world would be in when you got here. And yet you're in this moment, created in a certain way, gifted with with certain attributes and characteristics so that you can serve his kingdom with the greatest effectiveness. Paul preaches in Athens in Acts chapter 17, he says it this way, that from one man... God made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the the boundaries of their lands. And and God did this so that they would seek him and, and perhaps reach out for him and that some would find him, though he is not far away from any of us. Jeremiah's word comes as an announcement to one ancient prophet, but it's also a reminder to you that you are where you are in this time and in this place with great purpose. And you have something to say that the world desperately needs to hear. And though people around you may not be interested in hearing what you have to offer, and though the world may not understand your message, and though the ways of God are not the ways of this world, God calls you to speak. So that when the people that physically surround you in life reach out for God, they will have something to hold on to. That when they look up from their darkness in search of some kind of light, they will see you. That when they listen for a word from God, it will be your voice that's speaking to them. Words that are true. You were made with a purpose. You were made with divine intent and you have something to say and God says you shall speak. And generations of believers have found in God's word to Jeremiah something true of all servants. That the Bible repeats these same affirmations about God's calling to all of God's people. And no, we're not all called to be Jeremiah prophets. You don't need to pack up your bags and go announcing yourself as a prophet from city to city. Perhaps you will join what Paul calls the saints of this world, the holy ones, the the called out ones that he writes to all throughout the New Testament to be a witness to the love of God that we've experienced in Jesus, to point the world back to him. And this evening in our worship, we've invited a dozen or so folks to come and to share about some of the missions and ministry that happen locally in our church. I was asking a number of different people who were deeply involved, some of the most involved parts of our mission efforts on a weekly basis, if they would come and just share a a minute or two about where they'd seen God at work in those ministries. And would you believe it that like two or three of them told me no? I don't want to give you an excuse, but 
Some people who are most gifted for missions and service didn't feel gifted to stand before you and speak about it. And that's perfectly fine. The, the, the point I'm trying to make is that you have something to say that far exceeds your words. That some of the lives in this congregation that speak the loudest speak the least often. And you may be thinking today, what could I possibly say to my neighbors or to my world or to my workplace or to my family? What, what word of God have I been given to say? And, and I want you to know today that your life stands this day and each day as a witness to your own encounter with the word of God. More than where you are from or what you are called there or under which reign you receive that word, what matters about you is that you were created to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly so that by the way that you live your life, the choices that you make, the priorities that you hold, the word of God will be proclaimed to a world that needs it. You have something to say. And we aren't told explicitly that Jeremiah is now afraid. But I can imagine when God's voice comes down with this kind of task, what that would feel like. We can imagine because of how hard it is for us too. And God knows too. So he utters the most frequent command in all of Scripture for Jeremiah. Do not be afraid. And he follows that most frequent command with his most precious promise. I will be with you. You see, it was God's presence that had set Moses apart, that gave Joshua courage, and that will give Jeremiah the boldness to speak. And it's God's presence that is born in Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, that gives us the greatest glimpse of the Word we are called to speak. And in his darkest hour, when it seemed like that word was lifeless, hanging on the cross, it spoke the loudest. And when it was buried in the grave in darkness and no light could be let in, it seemed as if it had been put out, snuffed out. Christ himself rose from the grave to new life, appeared to his disciples and ascended to seat next to the Father where he is today, as if to say, my word still speaks. And when his people his church didn't know what to say, thought they might be lost and confused in communicating the foolishness of the cross. God gives them his very spirit, his presence. And he says, my gift to you on the day of Pentecost is my spirit and a word to speak. And to this day, his church stands in the line of Abraham and Isaac of David and Jeremiah of all of Israel as people who have been called out from the many to let them know who they truly are. You have something to say, and though the world may not understand it or accept it or receive it, you were made with purpose to be in Christ, who God made you to be. And Jeremiah says, oh, I am but a boy. And God says, no, you will be a man. And to a distraught and distracted church, God says, you will be my people. Oh God, may we grow up sooner than later. Let's pray. Father, what a gift.
to have received your word, to have been interrupted by the God of all creation, to have been drawn into the purposes of the one who formed us. We pray that our lives would not be so consumed with themselves they would forget what they were created for, so distracted by this world that we would forget the word we have to speak. Help us, Lord, and to speak your word for our day by the ways that we live and the people we become together. In Jesus' name, amen.